time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Hey, after you drop off the kids or put them to bed, turn on Childish with real life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents. If you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I pet when I'm still a kid? Childish. Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison. Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Alice and Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with someone who's been on the podcast many times, but has a very exciting announcement. It is comedian Ben Glebe, host of Netflix's Idiot Test, uh, Showtime special Neurotic Gangster, formerly of Chelsea Lately, host of a podcast whose name I wrote last week tonight, but that's not what it's called, is it? No, that's the John Oliver show I know. that kind of stole my title format. What was... It's called Last Week on Earth is my podcast. It was never called Last Week Tonight? No, that's John Oliver's show. It's always been. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I'm glad we got <laughs> but, that But my away. podcast predates it by years, just so you yes. know. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I'm not saying they stole it maliciously, but definitely we were first. And when their title came out, people were like, um, that's your title style. And I was like, I know you. I know what you're saying. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, you roll with the punches. Right. Look at you. You Your resiliency is what's mm-hmm. going to get you into office. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I hadn't even announced that no, yet. You're I don't recent, know what office you're talking about. Uh, right. It could just be like Office Depot. Mm-hmm. That is going to get you into what other funny offices are there? Office Max. <laughs> there you go. You're a recent. To the principal's office. That's right. You're a recent dog owner. Yep. You're effing in love with your dog. We yep. do swear on here, but since you are now a legit presidential candidate mm-hmm. i feel like i have to say effing not the other you one you can say whatever you like it doesn't doesn't reflect on me if you curse and i will probably curse at some point in this podcast so i'm trying not to but i have a lifetime of cursing in me and it's difficult i bet uh welcome to the show presidential candidate ben glee thank you very much is this your first presidential candidate on the podcast you might find this surprising, but yes, it is. Uh, and you're wearing a suit and a little flag on your lapel. Flag pin, sure. You are fully embracing it. I am indeed. Um, I There has been some talk among people in town, and by that I specifically just mean Rachel O'Brien, who I just had on the podcast, uh-huh. and me. And I said to her, you know Ben Glebe is running for president. And she said, but that's like a joke, right? And I said, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, and now I'm hearing from... The Ben Glebe himself, it's 100% not a joke. That is correct. Please explain what the hell is going on. Also, hello, Tony Thaxton. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I am not running. Not yet. That's true. <laughs> so what's going on? You're keeping your options open. Right? That's right. You're, you're, yeah. you're I'm not ready to commit just yet. But. First of all, I love how all comedians, we apparently don't take our own selves very seriously, that one of us announced we're running for president, and everybody's like, it's a joke, right? It's a joke. <laughs> Like, aren't comedians supposed to be the truth tellers of our society? They're supposed to be. Aren't we supposed to be the ones who speak truth to power, who hold our leaders to account, who call out the truths that are uncomfortable and that people normally don't say? That's the history of comedy, along with being silly and stupid and funny. And so that's the part of it that I think feeds perfectly in experience into what I decided to do. By the way, I suspect at the beginning when Trump was making noise about he it, was people kidding. thought it was a joke. He, he didn't think he'd ever win. He wasn't doing it seriously. He was right. doing it to get attention. I already have attention. I mean, I'm not the most famous comedian in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but I already have a TV show. I already am a you know somewhat popular comedian. I headline clubs around the country and the world. You hung out with Bono in Mexico? Yeah, that's correct. And... I am doing this because I'm so passionate about politics and I'm so sick of the way Trump has been eroding our values and what we stand for that I just couldn't stand by and watch it anymore. And 
people say, but then what do you, how can you beat him? Like, mm-hmm. what's, what, why would you, why are you better than the, the rest of the Democratic field? And I don't know that I'm better than them as a policymaker. I've got, although side fact, I do have more policy positions on my website than almost all the candidates hmm. running. Glebe2020.com. You can read them yourself. Click on the issues page. That's where you find those. I did earlier. Oh, and did? It, not only are they all there, they're also, there's a humor to it. Yeah. That I like. I try to write in, in a way, is what I've always done on my podcast, which is about politics also, that it's accessible to people. Mm-hmm. I try to make it very boiled down to the way people can understand what my positions are in a way that really gets to your ear and it sinks in, not just talking in policy language, wonky policy talk. And so um, I realized that what I am not confident that any of the other candidates can do is stop Trump. They all have great progressive ideas. I have those ideas too. I have some unique different ones. and. A lot of the same ones, but I think they're cautious career politicians mm-hmm. who are afraid to mess up their future in politics. And so that combined with the fact that they don't have the experience of 19 years of a stand-up comedian traveling the country and dealing with every heckler of every kind in the world, I don't think they have the ability to counterbalance the best trash talker in political history. Hillary Clinton was pretty tough, mm-hmm. could not scratch Donald Trump. Nobody in these two years of his office has been able to scratch Donald Trump in any way. They're even afraid to go after impeachment proceedings when he's the most impeachable guy I've ever seen. <laughs> he's like James and the Giant impeachable, this guy. <laughs> and I will. I, I will call him out. I will shame him. I will troll him right back. I'll take crybaby Donald to task, and then I'll take him to court, and I'll take him to jail. This guy is an embarrassment, and these people don't know how to do it. I'll be in a debate with him, and I'll do his impression to his face. <laughs> He'll go about, this has been the biggest witch hunt in the history of American politics. And I'm going to say, let me just rephrase, let me just re- paraphrase the quote from our president. Wah, 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 wah. I'm a little baby boy. I mean, he is a loser and a joke, and they're afraid to couch it in those terms. And it's becoming the new normal, the way that he presents himself and the way that he erodes who we are and what we stand for and what a president looks like why do you think and i agree with you but why do you think they're afraid to do that i just think they don't know how to spar i think they're going with their team's talking points and they're going with the massaged ways that they are trying to play to their base or going by michelle obama's when they go low we go high they're trying to be dignified and i I disagree with i hate that it i hate that I have to disagree with that now. Right. Like, cause I, I really prefer the idea of taking the high road and being, you know, a yeah. solid, decent adult. But it, unfortunately right now that doesn't seem to get you no, much. You can't bring a Nerf bat to a knife fight. And I've always said it not that way, but you understand my point. Yes. Um, wait, what, how have you said it in the past? Probably in more traditional ways. You can't bring a grape to a fruit fight. <laughs> right. You know, stuff like that. My grandpappy traditional. used to say that. Mm-hmm. Your grandpappy was a great man. <laughs> And as a side note, I've never held elected office, but I have politics in my blood. Uh, my great-great-grandfather is Bernie Sanders. So I've got a lot in my political pedigree. That's not true. No, that's the great-great-grandfather. You have to be very old. Look, I don't, I don't do math. I just that's talk fine. into a microphone. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Thank but, you. But um, it would be funny if I was running against my great-grandfather yeah, for the president of the United that, States. Now, see, that would be exciting. I would be like... Not only does Bernie not know how to pay for his plans, but he gave me just five bucks for Hanukkah. What is that about? <laughs> um, and so I don't know why they're so cautious, but they just are. And we cannot – the biggest existential risk to our democracy is Donald Trump winning yeah. again. And so I just decided to throw my hat into the ring to see if people agree that, I, that they think I have a better chance to bring him down. I'm willing to do it. I may not win. I'm giving my all to it. I'm working literally 18 to 21-hour days. I slept two and a half hours yesterday, got up and did media and press and and donation outreaches and studying policy and then went right back to sleep for two more hours and then got up and did the rest of the day. I'm running on on fumes, and I'm not even tired really because – even though you did give me coffee, and I appreciate that – but because I just have a mission to try to help. I just want to help. When did the idea of potentially running for president first occur to you? The moment Donald Trump got elected president. That day I was covering it for ABC News because a lot of people don't know I'm not just a comedian. I've been a political commentator for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And I usually maybe keep those two separate more than you might realize when I do stand-up. I don't even usually talk that much politics. Right. Maybe I'll do 10 minutes of politics and then 50 minutes of normal material. But when he – I was covering the election night in, in ABC News Times Square Studios – 
on November, whatever it was, uh, 7th of 2016 or 6th. And, um, we were there until five in the morning. I stayed until they called it for Trump. And when they called it, was it like a panel of people? I was just rotating in and out, commentating. And I was doing like a comedic spin on the news. Mm -hmm. And then as the night started to turn dark, they stopped having me on air. And I just stayed there as a spectator watching, you know, backstage. And when it was announced that he won, a hush fell over that newsroom like we were hit by a nuclear bomb. Mm -hmm. It was the most devastating. And I realized two things at that moment that we have to do everything we can to undo this as soon as possible. And that I could get elected president because clearly people don't need somebody with experience. Right. That's not a criteria we care about. And I think that's actually a good thing. I don't think you need experience to be a good leader. You need to be a smart person who understands common sense and logic and knows how to surround yourself with actually the best people, not just the best people like he said he would do. And then there are 19 of them are in jail after two years. Like, do words even have meaning anymore? I don't understand. Uh, Not with him. But surround yourself with the leaders in every single field, the thought leaders, the scientists, the best experts in everything, and then just listen. Listen well. Make the best decisions. I know politics well. I know policy. I understand what our problems are. You go to the best solutions, and my litmus test will just be, as president, I will decide which policy will help the most people. Why do you think— That's how I will put policies into place. That's it. Why— I, and I do want to get into the meat of like what your platform is and stuff like that. But I just want to now I'm just now I'm just making you be a political commentator a little bit just because you and Please. I have never really talked politics. Yeah, it's true. Um, why do you think he got elected? Because the country is frustrated and the country realizes that it is not. It's my phone. It vibrating. Is, okay. I'm sorry. Should I take it off the table? Uh, if you don't mind. Yeah. No, I don't mind that at all. It might be a national emergency coming into the phone that now is being delayed. But well, that's fine, for the Allison. podcast, it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> totally worth it. <laughs> Um, so I think the country's frustrated. People realize that it's not working for them. Even though we have very good unemployment numbers now, as Trump himself said during the campaign, those are numbers aren't always representative of the real economy. People are underemployed to a huge degree. They're working two, three, sometimes four jobs and still cannot make ends meet easily. They don't have money for a $400 emergency that comes up. They have Mm. no savings. That's not a way to live. We don't pay a living wage and the rich Donald Trump certainly included keep getting richer. See that what I don't understand is I get that people are frustrated. Right? But Why they choose made, him? Yes, that's my question. I don't understand either because he's a con man. He's one of the best con men ever. He, he's pretended like he was one of them. Right. He said, "I'm like you. I'm going to drain the swamp. I'm not one of these Holly, uh, one of these Washington insiders that's going to that's going to just take care of their own buddies and pork projects." He is exactly that. I know. He's the worst of that. Yeah. And he's just a liar and a very good salesman he's pt barnum he's a showman who convinces you that what you're seeing is real right. and you don't realize it's a magic trick and people were convinced because they were desperate you can't blame them really even though i do think he was so horrible as i talk about trump it starts to rain very heavily outside your window he's such a horrible racist misogynist mm-hmm. who's bringing our country so far back he's literally unleashing and unearthing all of these horrible tendencies in our country and I think that alone was very predictable and obvious. He was doing it during the campaign and should have made people not vote for him. Right, the dog whistling. No, but I feel like but people I, are like, oh, finally, well, finally, some someone people, is going to... Some people. Ugh. But then I still understand some that realized that was horrible and still said, we believe he might be our only chance to get the economic policies we need. So those are like the people that the term I've heard is they held their nose and voted yeah, for him. Yeah, 100%. And so I think that is exactly also why I'm running is because people really liked someone who, quote, tells it like it is, and who seems like a real person, Mm -hmm. but they were just conned by him. I'm a real person who tells it like it is. Comics are about as honest and raw as it gets, but I'm a good person. I have a moral code, and he does not. He's an amorphous blob that literally does whatever he can to enrich his own self and his own cronies, and even is treasonous before our very eyes if that gets him a tower in Moscow. So I, again, may not win, but I think we need this early, and outside voice in the race. I think we need this early somebody who is not afraid to truly speak truth to power and to see if we really still have a democracy where we can get someone representing real people. Trump pretended to be and he got elected, but he wasn't. He's entrenched and he had millions. He was self-financing at first and he had millions and millions and millions of dollars put into it. I don't have that. 
Mine is a true grassroots campaign from the people. We're only taking small dollar donations right now. We're not holding fundraisers. We're not taking corporate PAC money or lobbyist money. We are just taking money from the people, small dollars, and the DNC made it accessible this time. Yeah, so how I don't I don't know how this works. Mm-hmm. So how to qualify? Yeah. So in past years, you just had to be like curry the favor of the party and be someone that they took seriously just based on arbitrary factors. But they were criticized heavily for like stepping on the scales for Hillary and kind of hurting Bernie's momentum, and so that's affecting the 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 appearance of us having a fair democracy. So this time, Tom Perez, who seems like a great, he's been a great leader of the, of the Democratic Party, said we're going to have a very transparent threshold to make the debates first 20 people to get 65,000 individual donations or poll at one percent are in the debates the polling one percent is still very challenging because you need to have your name brought up in the polls Mm -hmm. no one's mentioning my name in these polls ben glebe's not being brought up in these polls it's an injustice what's that it's an injustice injustice. it's a travesty of justice (laughs) but you can create a grassroots campaign and get 65,000 people to give you a dollar or two or five or ten or twenty whatever you can afford and so if I can just quickly ask your listeners, who I've hopefully entertained for a long time, please give at Glebe2020.com, G-L-E-I-B, 2020.com. Right now on your phone, while you're listening, you can just go to the website, click donate, and donate $1 or whatever you can afford. But just $1 is great if that's all you can swing. And please tell each of you five or ten of your friends to do it. And across the whole country, all of your fans, you're such a popular podcast. If you If each of you tell five or ten people and convince them to also give me a dollar – we can qualify within a week. We only have two and a half or three weeks left to qualify. And how far, how close are you at this point? We're, How's it looking? We've got a way to go. We've got amazing donations coming in. Like mm-hmm. just one hour, I looked at the map last night and we have dots all over the map. We got hundreds of donations coming in constantly. Right. But to get to 65,000, it's challenging. These million dollar campaign, multi million dollar campaign. But it's got to be 65 different people. 65,000 right? different people. And, and actually, 200 of them have to be in 20 different states. Mm. So you have to, if you know anybody in different states, please text them, call them, Why and ask them, is, give a dollar to this campaign. Even if I'm not asking for an endorsement from these people, I'm not saying they're, they're donating to me because they believe I should be president yet. They, I'm just asking they should, they believe I should be heard. Right. That all 23 candidates should not be multimillionaires or career politicians like they all are. There's enough of those running already. We got more than two baker's dozens almost. <laughs> but only one person who's a regular dude who knows what it's like to struggle to pay his bills and a comedian at that has got a good chance to take down Trump, that's worth a dollar. Give a dollar for your democracy. I'm calling it the democracy challenge. We've done ice bucket challenges. That's amazing. <laughs> Raise money for ALS. How about give $1 and see if it is true that a reg- we still have a democracy and a government by the people, and you can get one of us, supposed to be a citizen government in this country, in office? Or if that's bullshit. See, I cussed. If that's another <laughs> lie, and they're just going to keep the people in power already in power and pretend – like they're representing us. And you have campaign – tell me about the people you have working with you now and how that came about. Yeah, we have an amazing team. My senior advisors are people from the Obama administration, from other top-level Hillary Clinton staffers from her 08 and 016 campaigns, her field directors from Iowa, from all different places. Um, how it came about is that I've been very involved in politics and in just – caring about this world for a long time and i've luckily made friends with a lot of people that also care about the world and so when i announced this i when i started to, I, before i announced it before i started talking about doing this i had all these people saying oh my god let me help you let me advise you i'd love to talk to you on the phone about it. i'd love to be part of your team let me introduce you to this person who's a political strategist who's a advisor who's a policy expert i'm getting on the phone and doing long talks with like the people that crafted the legislation with the people that rolled out obamacare with the people that were in charge of hillary's ground game so we're running as serious a campaign as we possibly can, and we're doing it against the wire with no lead time, and we're doing it without millions of dollars. This is a chance to really see if there's a different model of democracy. That's why I'm doing all my friends' podcasts and all every radio and TV show and web show I can possibly do right now because we're trying to say, can we run it? Can somebody actually be viable as a candidate in our democracy without millions of dollars and kissing up to rich people constantly most of these candidates are spending five hours a day on the phone calling rich people for money Jeez. five hours that's five hours they're not talking to regular people they're not communicating their thoughts directly to the public they're just trying to raise big dollars that is insane that's a broken system and so let's see if we can do it differently let's challenge our democracy and see if it's real anymore or not i'm just so curious it's worth a dollar 
or again, five or 10, please. We need money to compete in anyway. And so these are like really, uh, really rube political questions. I like it. I like so it. I'm revealing how much I don't know about how the process works. No one knows but, the process. That's the kind of the whole problem. So you get, let's say you get 65,000 separate donations or mm-hmm. whatever. Then to qualify, do you have to give that money to someone or you that stays in your campaign? Oh, it stays in our campaign. We just okay. need to verify it with the Federal Election Commission and the DNC. So they're just number. like, if you can get to this level, then we'll take you seriously. Yeah, it shows that you have a good broad base of grassroots support. And they like an and, indie band having to prove themselves before totally. they go on a major label to use a totally. very antiquated totally. system. <laughs> that's perfect. But, but Tony knows because he's a musician. Are yeah, you, Tony? That's the only thing that made sense to me so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Five minutes has been over your head, Tony. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a smart guy. <laughs> Can I clarify any of it for you? Mm. Oh yeah, talk to the real people. Yeah, like I, Tony. Like, I like the real people. <laughs> what what part can can I explain better? Uh, oh no, no, you're doing you're doing great. Oh. I'm just dumbing down myself. Oh okay, <laughs> just for you know for fun. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. You got a cute fifties Fonzie jacket on. It's like you're the malt shop, really. You not just Fonzie, got yourself a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you learned uh, so far, being this far in? And I know a little bit. You've learned that. It's like extremely long days. Mm-hmm. I've learned how much money controls it, how you really need money to get a good ground game going. You know, we can't right now afford a field office in Iowa and New, ha- New Hampshire and, and South Carolina and Nevada and the early states. We can't do it yet. I'm trying to plan trips there. I tried to get a stand-up gig. I just got one booked in Iowa, but it's not till September. So I will have to have qualified already by that point and mm-hmm. be taken seriously to even make it that far. Um and we still have the money. So money's a big part of it. I've also learned the most depressing thing about it, and I hope this changes soon. I just had maybe a little bit of headway towards this because I kind of berated recently and a news anchor buddy of mine to, to take my candidacy more seriously. But the mainstream media doesn't want to have me on. Why? They, they don't want to legitimize an outside voice. I think it just really is because they – and it, it's a similar thing that Cenk Uger went through and – from the Young Turks, I just did a one-on-one with him yesterday, and this guy's a political, brilliant political mind. We sat down for 25 minutes head-to-head, and he was loving my policy proposals and loving my ideas, and he said that he had the same problem when he tried to support different candidates with the with the political justice group he created, that the mainstream media, even if they have funding, they won't have people that are outsiders on because they just don't want they're they're lazy they don't want to have outside voices they it's a self-perpetuating loop where they only have on politicians or the or the super rich people that already are known in that political sphere so they can just have them on get them reelected. Mm-hmm. those people come back on their networks they get them elected again they get ratings for the news network and it just continues with this little boys club of people that are already anointed in the political world and so how do you think trump broke through that he was already one of the super wealthy. He didn't break through. Right. He was part of it. He was yeah. already part of the super wealthy elite. Been talking about running for president for years. Manipulated the media for years. Had been a news commentator. I mean, yeah. sorry, not a news commentator, but like was a, sort of a, a political talking... voice. Yeah. And he, you know, created the whole birther movement that the news covered like crazy. Forced the president to show his birth certificate. They gave him like billions and billions of dollars of free advertising constantly for the ratings of it. But when there's a true outside voice, they just aren't interested. Are they you, only want someone already certified as a political, viable person before they'll even consider it. Do you... I'm sorry. I've been so not funny. <laughs> that's okay. Um, Thank you for forgiving me. You're you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I like that we can talk talk openly. Mm-hmm. Ben Glee. This is great coffee you made me from your in-fridge in Keurig I machine. I do have an in-fridge Keurig. Um, I never knew that was a thing. You get elected. Oh, yeah. no. You know what? I'm going to take this to the real important question. Sure. I, but again, I really do want to get into what you stand for. Sure. But first I have to ask. Yeah. You famously, yeah. famously said something that I'm sure tons of people have thought before but never had the chutzpah to say to me, yeah. which was that my old apartment smelled like dog urine. <laughs> I'm so sorry I said that. <laughs> that's okay. It only bothered me. I speak me. truth to power. That's <laughs> right. It only bothered you for, for how long? It still bothers me. Um, <laughs> that I said it or that it was true? <laughs> oh, that it was... That I believe that, like, the candles definitely covered up. Not everyone knows. I, I had to, like, compart... I had to go in... I, there, there was a lot of cognitive dissonance I was dealing with in the old <laughs> place, which was, like, this place is a mess, and I have also... It's a mess, and it smells like dog urine, and... I have all sorts of notable big names trotting in and out because I'm recording my podcast here. They probably won't notice. And then you punctured that. 
by speaking truth to power mm. in your presidential, yeah. honest way. Yeah. And you had to move now because of it. We had to move. Right. Now, and I didn't tell you until you moved, so I probably should have told you earlier if I really wanted to speak truth no, to power. No, I appreciate that you didn't because yeah, I, so, I had to uh, marinate in it. Yeah, so my thought process in telling you when you moved was like, I felt like as a friend, that's, and I've always done this with my friends and people in, life, in my life and that I work with because that's how you actually improve. And our true friend is not sugarcoating things or blowing smug up people's ass. I cussed again. <laughs> and it is, I wanted, my thought process was, the play, I thought this place smelled like that sometimes. And you have a brand new house. I don't want you to fall in that trap again. And I'm going to be the one that says it so that you don't. I was trying to be a good friend. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, Wendy the dog whose urine the old place smells like, mm -hmm. has not had a one accident wow, in this house. Wow, nice. Because we have a backyard now. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. Um, it's great. We are living a urine-free life. It's a beautiful life. Here's my question for you, though. <laughs> yeah. You said that the new house did not smell like anything last time. Mm -hmm. Honestly, how does it smell now? Because great. For real? Really nice. Because I've been walking around the last couple of days and I've been like, I don't feel like it smells good. No, it smells, I've, I've not noticed anything negative. Okay, great. I, I, I haven't smelled like candle fragrances, but it smells not, it's perf yeah, there's perfectly nothing to cover neutral. Up. I specifically didn't light a candle before you got here because I'm like, I don't <laughs> want to throw see. it off. Perfectly neutral. But now that I have two little kids, there's like baby poop smell sometimes. Hmm. I don't smell that. Wonderful. Yep. Wonderful. You're doing a real good job. Great. Maybe there's okay. rooms I'm not. I don't have access to that smell that way. That's but right. I can't I, it's in another part of the house. Mm -hmm. Well, um, you don't keep it around. I assume once it's. No, you know, we do. Yeah, we, okay. yeah. We have uh, these are our week old dirty diapers, right. and then we've That's got our like right. aged dirty diapers. I mean, you might want to get that trash can in the kitchen with the Fix. foot pedal fixed because one of my pet peeves is having to ever touch a trash can lid and you kindly lifted it for me when yeah. I was struggling. I was going to, I was, I hate it You're so much. You were going to hang on to your trash. I was trash. about to put my trash in my pocket <laughs> so I wouldn't have to touch yeah. the cap of the, of the trash bin. We've there. had a broken trash can for a really long time and I don't know why. In fact, probably mom, 20 bucks you can replace that I can. I know. I don't know. I don't probably get it on Amazon delivered. I know. Don't donate to my campaign. Donate $1 to Alice and Rosen to get a new trash can. My mom, like three years ago, was like, why don't you just get a new one? Right. And I said- Three I years has been broken? It's, it's been broken a really long time. Wow. I know. And, Allison, and I said, Rosen, Allison Rosen's trash can is busted. Please I, give her a dollar so it can get fixed real soon. Yeah. And I, I said, new ones are expensive. And she said, that's not better. true. No, it's not, it's not true. But I think she, but the way she said it, she meant it like that's not true. Like that's not the reason. Cause it's like, she's like, I, she sees me. It's not like we don't ever spend money. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it, I, it, honestly, I am being held back by my dream of the perfect trash can. Cause I want like I a full fucking trash good. can recycling center. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want that one again. That one burned me. And so mm. now I'm going to live I have with that it. Exact for, trash can. Really? And I like it. Really? Is it's it a little same? narrow for my needs, but. Yeah. I wish it was bigger, but you know, beggars can't be choosers when it comes to trash cans. Like your pedal doesn't even work in the least. You touch that pedal and it feels like you almost fall through the floor. <laughs> that pedal. It is feels just, like the trash can. If you if you step on the pedal, mm -hmm. it feels like the whole trash can might fall onto it you. It really does feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought it was. I thought the trash can was out of service when right. I t when I tried to step on that pedal right now. I thought like I have to find another place to go out for this service. trash. I should put it out of service sign That'd be on great. it. Yeah. That would be great. All right. You know what? I'm going to make a commitment to you oh, and to America. Great. After this podcast, mm -hmm. I'm going to look into getting a new trash can. I just got to see what's out there. And then I'm going to do it. The commitment you're going to look into it? Yeah, I'm going to look into it. And then it. you're going to do it? And then I'm going to do it. Before when? When's your deadline? We need an actionable goal here. Friday. You will have it ordered by Friday? Yes. So your next podcast, next time you record, yeah. you will be announcing to your listeners that, that you've got a new trash that's can. That's right. I love that. That's right. You see yeah. how we're already cleaning up America? I know. <laughs> <laughs> See that? We are. It works on so many. Mm -hmm. Well, really, just two levels. Actually, maybe just one level. One and it's a half. Just the levels. trash can level, really. Yeah. But it's still pretty good. You got to start small, right? But sometimes you do have to sweat the small stuff. That's you know right. I mean? Okay, let's uh, let's talk about this. Do you and have you always considered yourself a Democrat? No, I have not. I'm running as a Democrat because I believe in Democratic parties ideals so i've always ideologically been a democrat for sure i just never declared because i hate the two-party system mm -hmm. i think it's ridiculous that we have to split ourselves into two groups 
and it automatically creates tension and creates this like adversarial relationship. We're not a pickup basketball game. We're not two different teams wearing shirts and skins. We're, we're not armies fighting each other anymore. Mm. We should be voting together and moving together and, and trying to move our country's thought process along as one group, as the, the one America, you know, that I believe we are and that I believe we should be. Barack Obama tried to do it, but then kind of abandoned it early in trying to get us together. I think that it's a real shame that's the way it is. They they divide us with labels constantly. Left, right, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, even blue and red. Yeah. They color code us, Allison. That's the exact colors of the Bloods and Crips. Mm. Maybe that's on purpose. Maybe we'd have a more chill political discourse if we at least rebranded the parties peach and lime green. Is that possible? I like that, yeah. Nice calming color. Right. Color those. <laughs> what if I just have a stroke, Allison? <laughs> I need you to take over for me as president of the United States. Yeah, let me do it. Let me know what you need me to do. Be great. Everything. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I have not. But I, I'm a declared Democrat in recent years because I wanted to vote in the in the Democratic primary for candidates that I like when it was actually a choice between people that I think I needed, needed my vote for. So did you ever consider yourself libertarian or any like Green no. Party or anything like that? No. You were always just independent. Yeah, I always was declined to state, but I identify with the Republican Party and I've been a Democrat for many years. With the Democrat you said you identify you just said Republican though. I did not. I said Republican? You said it at the beginning you you said Democrat at the end, but you said I I kinda actually missed what you said. I think you just said I've always kind of identify with the Republican Party. Wow. I'm tired. I'm helping you you. by pointing this out. I appreciate that. Uh, I did not mean that. Even though my grandfather, my hero was a proud Republican Mm. and the Republican Party, I like some of its true ideals and its principles. It's it's the party of Lincoln. It's the party that ended slavery. I think the party's lost its way in a horrible way by endorsing this madman. But I don't hate the principle of conservatism. We need both spe- sides of our spectrum in this world. We need people that advance and progress like progressives do and people that conserve and slow us down and put a check on – it's a check and a balance. But to be rep- to be endorsing the horrible morals that the Republican Party seems totally fine morally with the endorsing – it's just, it's unconscionable. Money cannot be more important than who you are and what you stand for. Mm. It's so sad. Just the other day, I went off on this on a video on my social media, just two, three days ago, the the House passed a, a, a sweeping civil rights bill to guarantee equal civil rights for LGBTQ people. Eight Republicans voted for it. 173 voted against it. And if it were to make its way through the Senate and then to Trump's desk, it's anticipated that Trump would veto it. human rights literally there's the vast majority of the republicans in power think people do not deserve rights because of who they're attracted to from birth or what kind of gender identity they feel from birth that is beyond insane it should be criminal it's so crazy it's so cruel or want to tell a woman what she can do with her own Mm -hmm. body my campaign just called for the other day a constitutional amendment to protect a woman's right to choose. Because why don't we have that? Why don't we constitutionally protect Roe v. Wade from being overturned with this now ever more becoming more and more conservative court? It's like, what? believe whatever you want, but don't legislate women's bodies. Yeah. Legislate your own body. Men, these are white men deciding for women what they do with their own body. As I say, as I said in my kickoff speech the other night, when we decide that women can tell men when they can and can't have vasectomies and mandate that, then we can have a conversation about men deciding if women can have abortions or not. It's in your own body. And um, these are some of these bills. It's a clump of sand. It's, it's a grain of sand size when it's a few weeks old, an embryo. After six weeks, it's the size of a grain of rice. There is no brain. If you don't have a brain, you can't have thoughts about yourself. You can't have any – you're not a human being yet. You're becoming a human being eventually. You're not one yet. Why does that have more rights than an adult human woman? That is bananas. And why I think that a white male such as myself, even though I'm Jewish and half Israeli and like not totally white, so like don't put me in that box fully, <laughs> but should be considered again as president and at the very least as a voice in this race is because we need allies who are that. Of course, most women believe in a woman's right to choose because they're women, but we need men to stand up and stand by the women in our society and say, yes, I also believe in that morally, and so I will stand for it and fight for it. 
Because it's not morals if you only do it when it affects you. It's just self-interest. I'm I'm trying to think of the devil's advocate question because I am Um, pro-choice. So I'm trying to like think of what it would be. What would those be? It it would be like, but but what about the, but it's a baby. You're murdering a baby. Yeah. People say that. It's not a baby, in my opinion, if it can't survive outside the womb. So is that to you? That's what I think the line is for sure. I think late term abortion should not be allowed. If the baby can survive outside the womb, then it is a human being, Mm -hmm. has a brain, a developed brain. Of course, that's that's there's a point. Right. And I think when the Democratic Party recently in, in New York endorsed even like up to birth abortions, that's horrible and horrific that's not a good look at all that's horrendous that being said and i'm sure someone will write in and and explain why i'm wrong but there are not women at eight nine months pregnant who are like you know what i just realized i don't want this baby could you take it out like the people who are having a a terminating pregnancies at that point some something awful happened the baby is not going to survive and they're choosing whether to give birth and then have the baby die right away or whether to avoid that particular horrendous outcome like the people who this is i think that's generally true yeah i mean it's no one is murdering babies yeah i mean and then people are like what about kermit gosnell okay i don't know the whole story with him perhaps there was one but right. by and large, this is not a thing that people right. do. The people who have late-term abortions are suffering more than anyone knows. Right, and that's not even where the debate is. Yeah. We're, not, we're not even there. In the in the last no, now, few weeks, yeah, all these states are banning abortion at all or after six weeks yeah. when people don't even know that they're pregnant yet. And yet they don't have a problem. If with, you don't have a brain, you're not a human being. They that, that's a, what makes you self-aware. It's what makes you able to be a being that is conscious of itself. They don't have a problem with... So during IVF, you, you, if you have extra embryos, you freeze them. Right. And oftentimes you don't use, you know, I actually used all of mine, but oftentimes you don't use all of them and they get discarded. They don't have a problem with that. They're like, oh, because it's not in a woman. And I feel, uh, and now I'm getting on my soapbox, they ju- it's just about punishing a woman for having right. been sexual. Those are, those are fertilized embryos, you're, you're yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And nobody's upset about that. No. And you, they're just being tossed. I mean, what determines life then? It's, it take it even further. Something that moves and is alive, sperm's alive. Right. Every time somebody masturbates, are they a genocidal dictator because they're killing millions of potential humans? They're good. They could become humans. And then also, people will say, "This is the most I've actually gotten into this." People, will bat, like when I was growing up, you, I would hear things like, "Well, if she's, you know, if she's mature enough to have sex and she's mature enough to deal with the consequences," and it's like that is the worst way of looking at this because just I can, it's. As someone who has two kids, I and I really wanted these kids, and I have a husband, and we're doing fine financially, and I've got all the support. I'm edu- educated, all that. Like it's a real good, a real you know, uh, good ex- good uh, place to be to bring kids into this world. It is fucking hard raising kids. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that I get to do it, but it's really hard. But to imagine trying to force someone who doesn't want the kid, doesn't have support, is is young, all the things. To have a kid, like, that's just, that's not going to end well. Right. And it's so hypocritical of the Republican men in power that are doing this. It's so hypocritical because even if they truly believe what they say, that it's the sanctity of life and life begins at conception, they're so inconsistent. You have to take care of human life because the second that baby's born, they don't give a shit about it. Right. Because the third time. They don't give a shit about that baby. They don't approve subsidies for Mm-mm. for for prenatal care for postnatal care they don't care they don't they don't if it's a life does that woman when she's pregnant get more food stamps if she's on welfare for that baby that's gestating in her body does she get to go in the carpool lane do they really see it as a life no or are they just trying to say to women because it's a political point that helps them win elections right. we control your body you don't have a right to choose it's murder because we decide so it's not murder it's not murder and so it's just so frustrating that we are st- so stuck in these ways, and none of the candidates running are calling for a constitutional amendment to protect a woman's right to choose, even on the Democratic side. They're playing much more at-the-margins, cautious game, and somebody from the outside, I think, can bring a different voice to it. And I think we need straight men to be allies to gay people, to LGBTQ community in general, to women, to minorities. And so I'm down to do that. What are um, I like people of all stripes. <laughs> what are the other the other things you stand for? What's your what do you, how do you feel about foreign policy and what are your thoughts on 
on that. I think that America has been in a place for a long time where we are the policemen of the world and we can't always afford to do that anymore. We've got so many problems here at home, we can't afford to do that, but we are the moral leader and so we can help lead coalitions and build coalitions, but I do agree that we should whenever possible, unless it's to stop horrible genocide happening at the moment, that we need to build coalitions and then have the whole world community agree before we go into places because we have to take care of your own first and we have so many problems here and so many people living in abject poverty and living um, so many homeless people and we can't even take care of our veterans and we can't even address so many of the problems. We can't give health care to millions of our own citizens. People die because they don't have health care. Can't afford to pay rent. So are you proposing health care for all? Medicare for all? I am, but... I am not proposing a full government-run Medicare for All program just because from my talking to my strategic advisors on this thing and getting to learn about it very in a very detailed way, Obamacare, which helped to cover millions that weren't covered, is so complex and detailed. It's like a multi-thousand-page plan that it's so intertwined in our economy that to just all of a sudden stop it mm-hmm. and shift it to Medicare, it would it could have very devastating effects on our economy. It's intertwined in so many different aspects of our economy, pharmaceutical industry and doctors and, and insurance companies. And to all of a sudden just change reimbursement rates that drastically when Medicare reimburses much less amounts, it could have a real bad effect on the economy. But even more so than that, which is already a bad enough problem, um, part of the problem also is that um, already people in certain rural areas in the country – right, don't have great access to health care. So even if they have health care, they might not have a doctor for 100 miles. Mm-hmm. And Medicare, because it reimburses lower rates, and that's kind of the whole point of it, is that it, it has a bigger pool of people, especially if you expand it to Medicare for all, you're going to then be paying even less to these already struggling doctors, medical facilities, and rural areas that already can barely stay open. And a lot of them are going to shudder. And so people will technically have health care, but they may have to drive now 500 miles to get coverage and it's not a good solution. Plus, I just like in America, like I'm not a I'm not a socialist. Some in the Democratic Party now are saying that they are. I'm not. I call myself a compassionate capitalist. We need to be able to make money. The American dream is to be able to become rich and be able to to out outdo what your parents did and be mm-hmm. able to get to that next level and be upwardly mobile. It's becoming so hard, and so we need socialist programs to be a safety net. And to also up our risk tolerance, people are afraid of taking big risks if there isn't something there to catch them if they mess up. So actually, cap- true capitalists need socialist programs, and they know that, and they're lying that they don't. <laughs> Trump himself is really a socialist. What do you think tariffs are? They are yeah. a non-free market way to control prices of things. What do you think subsidies for farmers that are affected by his tariffs are? It's non-free market socialist idea to prop up businesses with government money. So it's a complete fallacy of those two arguments. But – um where were we? What were we talking about? about? You were talking about what well, you were talking about Medicare for all right, and healthcare. how you you don't you don't want a sudden shift to government. Right. Oh, I remember. Oh, and so so capitalism. So I also like keeping a private market insurance as well, just because I think in America, because we are a capitalist country, you should be able to seek out better care if you need it. If you're in some dire situation, if you can borrow money, if you don't aren't happy with the doctors the government provide to, I think it's nicer as a private market that you can also go seek out. Like I had a big health problem recently. I had a tumor that was behind my ear a year, oh my two years ago, a benign tumor, thank God, but it was the kind of my parotid gland that becomes in 10% of cases a very aggressive fatal cancer if left for like 10 years. And so I had to get surgery, but that tumor is where your, your facial nerve runs through your saliva gland, the mm-hmm. parotid gland. And my career is talking and being on camera, and I couldn't risk having a damaged facial nerve. So the doctors at the healthcare that I had, the HMO that I'm with, were ju- were not at all worried about the cosmetics. They weren't worried about full nerve preservation. They were just going to do the thing, cut it, and take it out. And I needed a more precise level of surgery, and I had to get a different health insurance and then still find out-of-market provi- uh, surgeons from that and pay out-of-pocket a huge amount. And I had to borrow some money to do that and – I was able to do it. I'm so happy that I could. So everybody under a Medicare for All program would be able to at least get surgery and not Mm -hmm. die, hopefully, from that problem. But if you are someone that needs extra or wants extra, you can scramble to figure out how to get the extra care that you need. And I don't think we should ever rely on government to fully 
take care of every health need that we have, but I think we should provide good basic healthcare coverage for everybody who needs it. Mm-hmm. And it's a much easier and cheaper way to implement it that way too. And Bernie's just like health Medicare for everybody and the government pays for it. We'll raise your taxes. Yes, but you're also raising taxes. So it's essentially the, the, you're still paying for it. So why not give people an option of which one they like? Right. And what would happen to taxes under a Ben Glebe presidency? Taxes would go up on the wealthiest people in the country. And where would you cap that? Or who would you designate the wealthiest? There would be not the $250,000 level that that Democrats have said in recent years. That's not that wealthy these days in a lot of markets where the cost of living is very high. We're talking like people making over $5 million a year. Tax will go up a little bit. And then I like Elizabeth Warren's idea of a super wealth tax for people making over like ten, twenty, thirty million dollars a year. They can ship in some more, a higher rate to help pay back the society that has provided that to them, to help pay back the workers that have provided that human capital to be able to make them that much money. It's not socialist, it's just a combo of capitalism and socialism coexisting. Can like you, it's a compromise like all things are. Can you talk a bit about what you like? in the other candidates and what you don't like about them? Sure. You know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to like take down other Democrats at this point. I'd rather it'd be a race of ideas, but I can say that I think a lot of them seem very principled. I think that it's not ideal to um, have all these people. What I don't like mostly is that, like, I think Elizabeth Warren's a great fighter. She seems very smart and passionate. Um, but, to what degree is she effective? I don't know. She's been in government now for for a good amount of time. I don't see sweeping. She she did. She was responsible for the Consumer Financial Protection Board, big part of that, and that's wonderful. It's been gutted a bit, but but it's wonderful that she helped create that. Um, I think Cory Booker seems like a really passionate person who cares about people, but again, he what sweeping legislation has he done to change the country? Um, even Bernie Sanders is not known for his great amounts of sweeping pieces of legislation. He's always fought for important things, but what has he gotten done? Um, that is so impressive over the 40 years he's been in Congress, or however long it's been. Um, age is not ideal either, but, um, you know, I don't want to be ageist, but age affects your ability to remain perfectly sharp and be able to, you don't know how long someone's going to be able to be healthy and, I don't think it's disqualifying by any means. Mm-hmm. I think Joe Biden is was a great vice president. He's very gaff prone and kind of goofy. That's me as a comedian saying that. He's just like, he's fine. He's great. I like him. I loved the Obama-Biden administration. He'd be a fine choice. People feel like he's too cent- uh There are some people who feel that he's, he's too, too centrist. centrist. How do you feel sure. about that? Uh, yeah. I think we need sweeping change right now. And I do not think that he is progressive enough for the challenges that we face our environment is in dire dire trouble we need to adopt most parts of the green new deal it needs to be a little bit more fleshed out and but we need to take drastic action to get off fossil fuels to reduce our meat consumption to reduce our plastic consumption and try to save the planet it's an urgent fight um and you know some of his past decisions didn't show the best foresight he was for the iraq war it's a gigantic mistake um and led to a lot of innocent lives being lost on both sides of of that conflict. And I just feel like it's time for new voices and new leadership. I like a lot of the younger people, but I don't know much about them. I think that they're viable choices, and so am I. I feel like... Is that like Beto and Beto, I don't know. What has he ever done? I mean, he's said he was born to do this. It's a bit cocky. What is he born to do? Lose to Ted Cruz again? <laughs> is that the move? <laughs> born to do what? The guy, just, you know, he... he, he, he he fails upward. He's the only person that fails and thinks, I'm moving on to the next one. <laughs> um, I think Mayor Pete seems like a really nice guy. Young kid, you know. He's 37. Mm-hmm. I'm a wise 40. I can bring three extra years <laughs> of wisdom right. to the race. I think Tulsi Gabbard is nice. I met her recently. She seems very sweet. Talks about aloha too much. Everybody from Hawaii just says aloha constantly. Aloha means the concept of you're not going to become president <laughs> wearing a lei around your neck and talking about aloha. Yeah. It's just it's a little too touchy feely for me. Andrew Yang, I think it's great that he's addressing the issue of, of mass unemployment that's going to come from automation. But his solution is to give people a universal basic income of a thousand dollars a month, <laughs> which is not what you get paid at your job. Mm-hmm. If you're a trucker, you make like forty, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, not twelve thousand. And on top of that, he's not. Uh, considering fighting it none of the candidates are considering fighting the onslaught of human workforce disappearing to me that's bananas 
Um, what about Kamala? I like her. You know, when she when she gives uh, her speeches, it feels a little bit like you've been called the principal's office. <laughs> She's very intense and kind of stern. But I like that in a leader. I like her. Um, I like her. I I, I don't. I, I want to see more of what she says. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very early. It's very early in the process. I don't think anybody's mind should be made up yet. We don't know them well yet. We haven't even been to the first debates. The first debates are in five weeks, and we've got less than three weeks left to qualify for them with $65,001 donations that you can give. If you like at all what I'm saying and just want to hear more, I want to see if our democracy is real and if indeed a regular outside voice that's not one of these career politicians, go to Gleeb2020.com, G-L-E-I-B, 2020.com, donate a dollar or whatever you can afford. Let's see if they let me on the debate stage because I want to be able to debate these people. The biggest problem with all of them is just that they have been in politics for a long time. I think when you've been in it for a long time, you lose touch with the common person. When you've been in it for a long time, even Andrew Yang too, he's trying to help, he's trying to address the needs of workers, but he's a multi, multi-millionaire. He's sold several businesses. It's great. I think it's wonderful. We should revere it, but we shouldn't, think that's the person who's going to understand your struggles. So I think the biggest problem with all of them is when you're in Washington too long and you're a politician for too long, you just don't know what it's like to struggle. So you can intellectually be repeating the things you've understood and see statistics of how people need more money and aren't making enough to make ends meet, but you don't really know it. And I think it's a, it changes a little bit your fight. If you became president, would you still come on my podcast? <laughs> Listen, we're going to talk to my communications team and see. Of course I'll be here. Because I don't want I'll still to come be... on your Thursday show. Thank you. You're welcome. Because I don't want it to be a thing of You might like... have to come to the White House to record it. Okay. That, that can be arranged. Um, you can crash in Lincoln bedroom. I just don't want it to be a thing of like, oh, he's changed. No, that's the thing. Comedians are so... That's why I think most comics, when they become successful, became, remain pretty nice people. Because it's, it's such a grind to be a comedian. It's like being a politician. <laughs> like, But instead of shaking hands around the country just for a year when you're running for office, I've been doing it for 19 years after every show. Then I hang with those people. And then I get drunk with those people. Are, those people I know. So like, And you perform in towns little and small, Republican and Democrat, crowds of 500 or of five people. And you're always your job is to please people. It's a service industry. You're, you're trying to make people laugh. And you have to know what makes them laugh to do that. You have to relate to them. And I'm an improviser, so I talk to them and I find out about their jobs and their struggles. And people, you know, all, I would ask people what they do for a living from the stage. More and more these days, they're like, I'm unemployed. I'm unemployed. I had a job. That's not the country we need. You need somebody who knows, travels, experiences the country. That's what I think you need in office. Are you worried about skeletons coming out or. And there's nothing specific I'm thinking of. It's just like I know that you are very open and you've talked about doing drugs and all these, you know, all these things that are yeah. like sort of not what you expect of a politician. That being said, no one expects uh, – I think the expectations of a politician have changed since right. Trump's in office. That but is true. Still, what, how do you feel about all that? Yeah, I mean I'm worried about embarrassing my family like to some degree and that's part of the thing that slowed me down to decide to do this. Um, because I've been a road-traveling, crazy comedian who's had my fair share of flings and fun and crazy behavior, but I just decided that it's worth the risk because I think our country's in real trouble, and I'm willing to sacrifice my own, um, my own, you know, pristine image or the fact that people might think that I'm some like perfect choir boy. I don't know if they do think that. I mean, maybe not. I used to get drunk on stage and you know for. Christmas and do his eggnog show every year. Maybe they don't think I'm a choir boy. And I was on Chelsea lately and shared crazy personal stories on there. So maybe they don't think that. But, you know, people might make up stuff about you. People come after mm-hmm. you. It's the only job in the world where people actively, millions of them try to take you down. Right. Try to make sure you don't get that that's job. That's Are you worried about that? Yeah, that's going to suck if that happens. If I get taken seriously, that's going to happen to some degree and it's going to suck. Totally, it's going to be a shitty experience. Cussed for a fifth time now? <laughs> And, uh, but I have not dropped any F-bombs just for the record. Right. Not yet. Not yet. We got time, girl. (laughs) And, uh, and, but again, we, none of us sacrifice enough. And so the way I ended up deciding to do this was, look, I don't believe I've ever done anything immoral. I don't Mm -hmm. think I've ever wronged somebody intentionally or put them in a position that, that they can say that I 
hurt them. I've just been crazy and I've been like wild. And like you said, that's acceptable these days, not just from Trump, but Obama and Bush and Clinton all had their mm. wild sides to them. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, but it's there's going to be a lot of hate and craziness and intense and vitri- intensity and vitriol coming at me. And I just decided at the end of it, that's going to suck when that happens, if it happens. But people die for our country. People sign up to fight and get maimed or die for our values. And I'm not willing to risk taking some slings and arrows verbally. I'm not willing to risk people making up stories about me. It's not going to be fun at all. But if that happens, but it's a small price to pay for our country. If you really believe in the country, you have to be willing to sacrifice, especially if you want to lead it. And so, so be it. And how do your parents feel about it? (laughs) Um, Initially, my mom didn't get it, didn't understand why. Because like a lot of people initially think, why would a comedian who doesn't have political experience run for president? She thought it was kind of ridiculous. My dad was kind of on the fence. They also didn't want me to go through that exposure and that, Mm. that, um, level of of you know hate and negative forces coming at me and then i explained to them that that's the whole reason i think why i should run is because we need regular people to be in power we need to shift the way we look at who our leaders should be because we've been trying the same thing over and over and over again for decades and it's not working the wealth and income gap is widening ceos are making thousands of times more than their average worker the people in power that say they're going to help you, they get in there and they don't create systemic change. To create sweeping systemic change, you need somebody who thinks completely differently from the outside. And that's what comedians do best. We think completely differently. We come up with brand new ideas. When people turn to comedians now for their news because they don't trust the newsmen anymore and comedians are more trusted, then why wouldn't we turn to comedians for our leaders when our politicians are not trusted? Washington's where the lies come from. Comedy clubs is where you go for truth. They're one of the last bastions of truth in our society. So why would that not be taken seriously? It completely should be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's what we need right now is radically new thinking. And that's my biggest criticism of just any career politician. Good for them that they tried to, to do it, but they haven't had amazing success. It's time we try something different. Now, people would say that Trump is something different, though, and that's but not, he's not going well. But yeah. he's not. He's yeah. a billionaire who's only ever cared about about cheating the system for his own gain. He won't release his taxes, which he said he would, because he cheats his taxes. We just came out, with, they released at least 10 years of old taxes, and he was the brokest person in the country, and he claims he's the richest. He avoids taxes at all times. He doesn't pay the people he works with. That's a joke. That's not something different, something different in a worse way. It's not about shaking the system's not enough. You've got to shake it up in the right direction. It depends on which way you end up heading after that. And an important side note, there's now precedent for a comedian becoming president, in the Ukraine, four weeks ago, a comedian was elected president. I did not know that. Yeah. Unseated the incumbent. The current president lost to him by 75% landslide. Wow. He just played the president on TV before. <laughs> and people elected him and thought he'd be a better leader. And I have a decade of political experience as a political commentator. I created the Telethon for America, which... If you guys don't know about it, it was back in November, the night before the midterms, an event that our goal was to help create historic voter turnout in our midterms in a nonpartisan event, totally nonpolitical. I created this idea, and in normally a show like this would take a year or more to put together and produce, and one or two million dollar budget. I did it for a budget of three hundred or so thousand dollars, from idea to completion, seven weeks. We had zero money in three and a half weeks before the telethon, zero talent attached, no partners. And in the last three and a half weeks, I forged partnerships with Michelle Obama's When We All Vote. They came on board to help us fund it and be our partners with Lorene Powell Jobs and Mark Echoes XQ, a partnership with them, partnership with Funny or Die, Comedy Central, Ellen Tube streamed us, BET, Glad, Watch Mojo. Uh, Funnier Die and Comedy Central work together. They don't do that typically. I literally had to get on the phone with one of the VPs of Funnier Die and say, we have to sometimes in our country put aside our own corporate profits for the greater good. We need to all stream this event and reach as wide a swath of the country as possible. And the guy said to me on the phone, he's like, not only do you convince me in two minutes, but when are you running for office? <laughs> and that was another thing that made me think that I should. And we put this event together that ended up being seen by almost a million people. 
and people called in to make flip the telethon on its head. First telethon in history to raise zero dollars. Instead, mm-hmm. we took pledges from people to just vote the next day and to form voting squads. So they would bring their friends to the polls to exponentially increase the reach of this thing. And the next day, it happened. Whatever small part we played in it, we helped create historic voter turnout. We at least the country achieved historic best voter turnout in midterm since 1914 and best ever among young people. So right there is an example of what I did in the private sector without power, without money, without being in Congress in charge of billions of dollars, what I was already able to do to help our country that I think in many ways is a more concrete example of what I've been able to do than people in Congress that have been stuck in these gummed up works of a broken system and claiming that when they run for office, they're going to all of a sudden be able to do it. Well, I didn't stop until I got that accomplished. And we were able to to create very impactful change. We had 95 huge celebrities in that thing. Natalie Portman, Charlize Theron, Jane Fonda, Amy Schumer, Pete Davidson, Aisha Tyler, Constance Wu, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, Ray Romano, Larry King, Dr. Phil, 95 huge celebrities all came on board. I hosted it with Olivia Munn. All these amazing people came on board to do it. Sophia Bush. And I know how to get people to do stuff. I know how to get people to work together, how to work across party lines. Dr. Phil's a Republican, as far as I understand it, came into our telethon and got everybody to who are very vocal celebrities who are mostly liberal to not mention anything politically on air. That's a pretty big accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And I brought it in under budget, in under our already tiny budget. And whatever shortfall, whatever extra we had of that budget, I didn't keep it all for myself. I shared it with the people that worked hard on that telethon. So I think that's an excellent model for what kind of executive I would be and how I would lead the country. And imagine if I had billions of dollars to be able to work with and to really make sweeping change and to reappropriate our priorities towards the, the things that are urgent in our country that have to be fixed. And so... Years ago, when I supported Cory Booker's run for the Senate, the night that I first met Natalie Portman in a story I've told in the past on your (laughs) podcast, I was at a private house event fundraiser. I bought a ticket to support Cory Booker's race, and he gave this sweeping speech about all the things he wanted to change when he got to the Senate. And he listed every single problem. And I raised my hand. I was a little buzz at the time. And I said, you say all these great things you want to do. But we all know you're going to get to Congress, you're going to get to the Senate, and our system is so broken, you're not going to be able to achieve these things, and you're just going to run to your respective cable networks and complain about it. So why even say you're going to do everything when you know you're not? Natalie Palmer looked at me a little bit impressed, by the way, and that was the beginning of mm. when I thought, uh-oh, I'm going to have a chance here. And I messed <laughs> it up, and everybody knows I messed up my chance, and it's real. It's a real shame. It's a real, it's a real it's a you tragedy. Know, yeah, it's a, it's a regret I will always have. What did Cory Booker do? And Cory Booker looks at me and he says, and keep in mind, he's running again for president right now. Yeah. And he looks at me and he says, you know, um, that's, that's fair. It, it is true that our system is very broken. And so these days you can actually be much more effective as an artist or an activist. So that's the path that I chose to stay on. Mm-hmm. And then I did what I've, what I've achieved. And so by Cory Booker's own rationale, I'm more qualified to be president mm-hmm. than he is. Ben Glebe, you have my vote. Thank you so much, Allison. You also need to have one of my dollars. I'm down I with that. I need to get on it. Yeah. And everyone who listens, do that too, because uh, let's get let's get a Ben Glebe up on that stage. Where is the first debate? Miami, I believe. Let's get, Florida let's for get sure. Ben to Miami. Yes. Uh, Thank you so much at Glebe2020.com. You can donate very quickly. It takes two minutes uh, we on your phone. We have some questions Great. that uh, Patreon listeners sent in, but I think I'm going to do those in a special separate... Uh, we'll do just a little bit of like bonus Patreon material. So patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where it. you'll be able to go for that. Um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen, AllisonRosen.com, uh, t-shirts, ringtones, etc. all that stuff. I have another podcast that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons called childish.com. And, uh, oh no, Ben Glebe's taking a photo and I have zero makeup <laughs> no, on No, I'm today. shooting video. It's even worse. Oh, this, where is this going? Hi, you guys. I'm doing like, you're trying to get some behind the scenes footage of this whole process, you know? I mean, I, 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 I wish I got the part a moment ago when you just said that Ben Glebe, you have my vote, but I missed it. You can say it again also, if you want. Ben Glebe, you have my vote. People watching this, normally I look a lot better. This is, you're catching <laughs> me on an off day. But the point is what? That I sh- wish I was wearing more no, lipstick. No, that, uh, that you're supporting oh. my campaign. <laughs> I'm giving you a dollar. You have my vote. 
it's not a good hair day for me. There's just a lot going on. I get on. that. I fully so, get that. Yeah. But I've anyway, got the yeah, support. You have my support. Your endorsement, you endorsement, your vote. Right. Yes. Thank you there very you much. Go. Thank you, you. You heard it here, America. Another endorsement. Ben Gleep, tell everyone listening uh, where they should go. F- plug all your... You, do, you, do your thing, man. Sure. So um, most important, just please go to Gleeb2020.com. G-L-E-I-B 2020.com. It takes a minute or two on your phone right now. Donate whatever you can afford, but please at least just $1. If everybody listening can do a dollar and get five or ten of their friends to do the same, even friends in different states, please text them, explain them, send them my announcement speech link, which is right there on my, on my website, and it's on YouTube. Just search Glee President. You see my announcement speech or the video right there on, on the website on the top of the homepage. Click the YouTube icon, and it goes right to the page. You can copy the link. Send it to your friends. Get them to donate a dollar or five or ten. And see if you can get me on the debate stage. Let's see what Allison Rosen's audience can do. Do Let's you have do the it. power to do it? Just do that. And I'll be at the La Jolla Comedy Store this weekend trying to make a few dollars for myself because, uh, and it's doing campaign events also. Wonderful. Tony Town Thaxton, Hall, where, where might we find you? Twitter and Instagram at Tony Thaxton. Wonderful. Thank you so much for doing the show. Listeners, thank you. And good luck to you. Listeners, thank, thank you. you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Thanks for having me, Allison. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? 